Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests who are joining with us this morning. Thank you for making us your church online for an hour today. It's good to have you. Um, I want to say, I, I pause because I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how often I need to say thank you. I feel like I'm being a broken record on a regular basis every time I'm up here just constantly saying thank you for your participation. But I need to. I, it, it, I'm sincere. You all are outstanding. You're amazing. You are going the extra mile. Jesus said, if someone asks you to go one, go two, you're going five. Thank you. Thank you for serving our community. People out there in need are desperate. And you are being the hands of God and the feet of God to bring it to them and hand it to them. I am grateful for your participation. Those of you who can't go and actually deliver, thank you for your contributions. Those of you who can't contribute or deliver, thank you for your prayer. Just thank you, church. We're helping to change the world and make it better. You are really, really outstanding, and I am privileged to be your pastor. Well, today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to have a collaborative sermon um, where we've got four presenters. I'll, I'll clean up. I'll be, uh, after the bases are loaded, I'm going to try to knock it out of the park. Um, but we are, we are going to try to present some things to you that will help you understand how to use your voice. Your voice wants to be, it needs to be heard. It's crying out from here, but it needs to come out of here or it needs to come out this way. Some kind of way it needs to come out. So we're going to talk about that scripturally. How can your voice be heard today in a relevant way? But before we do that, a couple of things I want to say. One is fact check. Last week I mentioned the Tuskegee Airmen and that they had flown so many missions and, and never lost a bomber. Um, misspoke. They flew 100 missions and in those 100 missions they never lost a bomber but they flew many more missions and they lost at least 25 we think. We're not quite sure. That's still an outstanding record though one is one too many but these were very very brave men and they deserved honor. Secondly I said that they it took 40 years for them to be honored, 60. Yeah, most of them had passed, which was sad. But what's, what's some heroes? And, and it, it, this is personal to me because my grandfather and my grandmother helped teach them at Tuskegee University. Um, my grandfather taught them mathematics, which is really important if you're a pilot. <laughs> really, really important. You've got to know stuff about altitude and, and, and velocity and Gs. And he helped them calibrate things. And I was the representative. Many of them were buried at Arlington Cemetery here in, in, in uh, the D.C. area. And I was their representative from Tuskegee whenever one of them passed to go to the funeral and represent the family. So I, I knew many of these Tuskegee Airmen. What, what brave men. What brave men. Secondly, I want to define a term or some terms. I use intentionally the term ethnic rather than race. And people are asking me regularly, why do you do that rather than race? Well, I have some really good reasons. Now... It's, my reasons are not boomerish. I, I, I defined last week what it, what it means to look at prejudice, what it means to look at bigotry, and the definition of racism. That's according to the generation in which I grew up. In fact, that, th those definitions were before me. I inherited those. But the Gen Xers, millennials, uh, pretty much have changed the vernacular, and I'm not mad about that. I'll go ahead and submit to that. I, I raised the white flag of surrender, as long as we're talking about the same thing when we use these words that no longer is it prejudice, it's now unconscious bias or implicit bias, no longer is it bigotry, it's racism, and no longer is it racism, it's institutionalized racism. As long as we're talking about the same things, we can apply the right solution to the problem. 
just making sure that the conversation is clear. But when it comes to defining ethnic groups, I'm a stickler on this, and I'm not giving this up, and I'll tell you why. The Bible describes in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, the entire human race is coming from one man, Adam, one blood. So all of us are one race. And that's the way most of the Christian world looked at Scripture and looked at people. That black, white, Asian, Latino, we were all one race, the human race. Around about 1500s, there became a, 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 a distinction, intentional, that people began to look at different people groups as different races. And there was an idea that there was a polygenic morphism, meaning that certain groups came from certain genesis, and those genesis were different and at different places in their evolutionary scale. Now, evolution was not that which was even prominent then, but people thought, well, maybe they were just, maybe they're just behind in their maturity. It wasn't until Darwin showed up, got to the Galapagos Islands, developed his theory of evolution, and uh, decided that because of this, he would then codify the idea of race, being of different ethnicities, but that the white race had evolved quicker than everybody else, and especially people of color, namely black folks, were less evolved. And thus, Europeans were superior to black folk. He codified it. Everybody else was thinking it. It was in the vernacular. Not everybody submitted to it, but at least it was a part of the conversation. Darwin codified it. Um, I refuse to submit to that. Refuse. And, and you, you want to make this black biology major. Jesus making a whip to cleanse the temple mad? Talk about Darwin to me. I say ethnics, ethnicities. Primarily because it defines us according to our national identity. Rather than a human ladder upon which are rungs that we, black folks, have yet to reach the top and yet the Europeans have. I denounce that in a hurry. Amen. So, um, I can be in my own little corner and nobody else can agree with me in my vernacular. But I'm going to stick with ethnicities. Now, when it comes to defining the sin of racism, that's different because it agrees with what I think Darwin should repent of. He was a racist. But when it comes to ethnicities... It's just a distinction between people groups. That's where I live. So that's why I use what I use. And then lastly, um, we have a prayer meeting on Tuesday morning. And that prayer meeting out here in our parking lot with social distancing is really important. We are calling out to God. We are asking him for his mercy and grace upon our nation. Other churches are participating. Other pastors are participating. It is a community prayer meeting. I'm asking you to come. I'm asking you to help. I'm asking you to cry out to God with us. This week we'll be praying at 9 a.m. starting at 9 going to 945. We'll be doing it for the next three weeks until the end of June. Please come. It's one way that your voice can be heard. All right. We're going to talk about four things with respect to your voice being communicated well. First is prayer. The second is proclamation. The third is participation. And the fourth 
is pedestrian ministry. Prayer, proclamation, participation, and pedestrian ministry. And I've got three other panelists here with me, and I've got my good friend Mark Koch. Pastor Mark is a founding pastor of this church, and what we've got up here is a kind of a representation of both generations. This one here, that is mature. Yeah, 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 old, mature. And then the second that's going to inherit everything we've got. So I've got Pastor Mark Koch, the founding pastor, my pastor for nine years when I came here. We've got to my, my right, your left, Pastor A.J. McGraw, who's over our small groups, and to the far end over there, uh, Pastor Tellis, who is our youth pastor in the church. And each one is going to be speaking on a point, and then we'll have some discussion about that point. Pastor Mark, talk to us about prayer. Well, the passage that Pastor Brett asked me to talk about this morning is a familiar passage that we, by the way, we miss all of you. Debbie and I have missed you. We're praying for you. Um, the uh, passage is from Second Chronicles 7, verses 13 through uh, 14. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the peop- my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Uh, Heavenly Father, give us grace as we talk about prayer. Mm. Um, Before I I share, um, we started this church 38 years ago. Um, And I've asked myself many times how we survived and how we did what we did even to get to the point where you took it. And the only thing that I can come up with is prayer. And uh, we prayed. Uh, We prayed. I remember once before it was disallowed, we walked around the Capitol building in the evening and just prayed. I don't know how many times we walked True. around, but we prayed. We, uh, our main building was next door to a congressman from California who was not necessarily sympathetic to our cause. And, um, <laughs> and we would have prayer meetings in there. And, of course, we would get loud. And um, he would complain. And... Uh, <laughs> I found out recently that the house that he lived in is now a Christian, uh, is, is a Christian, I think a Christian prayer ministry, yeah. but the house that we had is a Christian prayer ministry. Um, this passage is important. We've used it for praying for our, our nation and, and praying for countries uh, many times uh, because he says, if my people who are called by my name, and I think the first thought here is um, that God has a people and, and here he's speaking of Old Testament Israel, of course. And uh, these were the people of God. These were the people who had cut covenant with God. It's important to understand when people read verses like, if I uh, shut up the heavens or uh, if I command the locust, and they think God must be very, very harsh. But it's important to understand that the nations around Israel were worshiping false and pagan gods. And they were doing things like burning their sons and daughters as sacrifices to their gods. And for God to save the human race, for God to be able to bring salvation and the gospel into humankind, he had to have a people that he could train, that he could uh, move away from these things. And, and the great danger was that these people would forget and move away from and wander away from God's laws 
which were the antithesis of burning your children, hmm. sacrificing your children for these, these idols. And so God had to be strong. And so they had made a covenant and they had made a promise and they'd said, God, we will follow you. And if we ever do, bring discipline into our lives. <clears throat> you were right and you were just and you were good to bring uh, discipline into our lives. God deals with us individually, but he also deals with us as a nation. Uh, we see this in the New Truth. Testament. Uh, Truth. Peter said that we are a chosen people. We yeah. are a race. We are a holy nation. And when God deals with people as a nation, well, the calamity, when a calamity comes upon a people, it comes on everyone. Everyone. When uh, Babylon surrounded Jerusalem, Jeremiah was a righteous man. And he was Truth. in that city suffering, mm. as were all the other strong mm. believers mm. at that time. Mm. When a nation is exalted, we all, uh, we all um, benefit. And um, we... Is that 52 seconds that I have left? Yes. Praise the Lord. You've been doing great. <laughs> or 52 seconds that I just started. Could you rerun that for me, please? I'm going to start sounding like Donald Duck here in just a moment. I'm going to speed up. But if my people, and we are his people, Paul said if one member suffers, Truth. we all suffer. We're in a state right now in our country where many, many, many of the members of the body of Christ, Afri African-American members, are suffering. And um, the humility that God calls us to here, uh, the prayer that he calls us to, the seeking of his face that he calls us to, uh, the turning from our wicked ways that he calls us to, will not shut off our love and our compassion and our desire to reach out not only to pray for uh, our African-American brothers and sisters who are suffering and experiencing great injustice, but to break down every invisible barrier. It's beautiful. And, and become one. Not just in word or ceremony, but in deed. And I think many of us that look like me in this country, our eyes are beginning to be open and I... I'll, I'll close with this. I'm very grateful. I'm thankful to say that I think Mark Koch has entered the first grade in understanding <laughs> and learning uh, about the plight and the experience of my African-American brothers and sisters whom I love deeply. And I've turned a corner and I'm committed uh, to stand to lock arms, not just for the short term, but from here on out. And by God's grace, to be one people to, to do these things that he says in this passage that he might really, really heal the church and our land. It's beautiful. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. And I, I don't want to minimize this point on prayer, and I'm going to let Pastor tell us and A.J. speak to it. Um, when, when we see what's happening in our country, again, there have been... One death is not more significant than another. They're all equally horrible and deserve great emphasis of compassion, mourning, and mercy. Yet this one, with George Floyd, sparked something. We in the African-American community felt the same way about this one that we felt about all of them. Horrible. But nobody was listening. 
Murder was being committed and nobody listened to our cry. Why in the world are people listening now? Why? I'm convinced that somebody's voice has been heard on high. Some people like me who have been praying for decades that God would do something because we realize we're the, we're the minority. We can't turn the head of the country. We need other people who are our allies to help us in the process. We've always been at the back of the bus. Even when times change sociologically, we were still there, even though the laws allowed us to get at the front. We can't change America. We need help. And I have been praying. I, listen, my voice has been heard in so many sectors, but no more so effectively than in the presence of my God. And I don't want anybody to feel like somebody who is, who is spending time in intercessory prayer, but maybe not on the streets, is less than. I am grateful for our intercessory team. <laughs> They're responsible for what's happening. I'm grateful for my mom and dad who prayed, my grandmama who prayed. Listen, simply because we don't get our answer when we want it doesn't mean it's not coming. And it's taken a long time for us to get here. But it shows the faithfulness of God to hear the cry of his people. And all of you out there, here, another plug for our Tuesday morning. Show up. Show up. Come to Tuesday. Because this changes the world. It makes no sense why this environment is so charged compared to all the other times when it could have been except that. God is taking, like in the book of Revelation, the prayers that have been put in the bowl that he's been holding and pouring them out on the earth. Thank God for the intercessory prayers. Thank God for people who close themselves up in a closet and talk to God all night and weep. I know what it's about. And my preaching is not giving any opportunity for AJ and Tellus to say a thing. Like we could say it any better. Yeah, I'm, yeah, not, yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm just taking all the air. I'm yeah, sorry. Good. I, don't need anything. Just the, the, the <laughs> yeah, let me follow that. Uh, <laughs> just the, the, the one thought that I'll add is, is in moments like this, there's, there's a rush to respond. There's a rush to do something. There's a rush to be educated. There's a rush to go. And when we do that forsaking prayer first, we go in our own strength with our own perspective, with our own will behind it. And when we submit ourselves to God first, which is why this is our first point, when we submit ourselves there, Perfect. we are not trying to get God to agree with our will. We're trying to get us to agree with God's perfect, will. Perfect, perfect. So prayer is so powerful because it informs the way we respond because I we're believe. responding with the heart of God, uh. not, not, not the will of man. And we know that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, as James says it. And so this for prayer is so important because it's conforming our hearts to the Father's. Perfect, perfect. And that's so good because now what Dad has asked me to talk about is proclamation. And I think it's so important to process with God before we proclaim for him Mm -mm -mm -mm. that we can't just go in our own strength like AJ was talking about. And processing with God oftentimes looks like prayer looks like going to God, getting his heart before we speak our mind. Perfect. And our mind sometimes, even if we are in the process of sanctification, some of us just respond out of what we might think is a righteous anger, but really is just man's uh, annoyance. I know for me, when I saw this situation, my first response was not a righteous anger. It was uh, probably a fleshly anger that I was just annoyed and upset 
Um, and I really needed time to process, to pray, and to figure out what God's heart was about this before I could move forward. And now after we process, after we pray, now God has given us that opportunity to go and proclaim. Beautiful. Now we do something about it. Now we have to go speak. And the Bible is littered with opportunities for us and commandments for us to go and speak, not just to be silent, but to go and do something about it. And I think most of us can agree that something needs to be said. Absolutely. That something needs, and yes. some of us might not know what exactly needs to be said, but something needs to be said. Good. And at this point, I think everybody, we need to go to prayer before we go and proclaim. That's beautiful. We have to. And I thought of two passages, um, and I learned from Pastor Mark, so I won't read them to take up all of my five minutes. But <laughs> we're, um, in Isaiah uh, chapter 6, it says this. It's a really famous verse, and um, I'll just read verse four, and it says, and the foundations of the thresholds shook in the voice of him. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Read the whole thing. I'll give you more time. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Isaiah six, chapter, <laughs> chapter six, verse one. And it says in the year, <laughs> in that year, uh, in the year that King Uzziah died and saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings with two. He covered his face and with two, he covered his feet and with two, he flew and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And that verse is from Isaiah, one of the major prophets that we see, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. We see Isaiah essentially being cleansed and prepared to go and preach what God has asked him to do and speak on behalf of God. And we see that he is cleansed and his lips are purified before he goes and speaks to the people. And I think that God is asking us in a similar way that we are in a generation, sometimes we might say, dare I say, of unclean lips and unclean actions. And God is asking us, the church, to be purified, to go and speak on behalf of him. And not just on behalf of our emotions, not just on behalf of my skin color, not just on behalf of my party, not just on behalf of my country, but on behalf of God. And as we go and speak on behalf of God, we first have to be cleansed and purified. I, I honestly think that God, is, God needs to purify our lips before he blesses them to speak. And in this process, God is blessing, purifying our hearts, our opinions, before we're speaking. And, and we can't go and, and just say, my opinion, although I've been in church for 20 years, is automatically purified. We might need to go to God before and again and again and again. And here was a prophet. I mean, he was already a prophet. Yeah. He, he, he could have said anything he wanted, but he needed help. And he needed help. And, and if we, I don't think I would say that I'm better than Isaiah or anywhere close to Isaiah. <laughs> I'm glad so you if won't. We need to, if Isaiah needs that point, hey, watch. If Isaiah <laughs> needs, to, needs to go before God and be purified like that, I think in the same way, so do we. Um, it's so important to proclaim because you can't legislate heart change. Right. You, 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 you can't just make a law to make people's heart better. Right. We need to go and tell people. And if they have not heard, it won't make any difference. We need to go and proclaim. And uh, there's a story that I can't read, but about Nathan and David. And Nathan was David's prophet. And so when uh, David, uh, long story short, David goes and sleeps with Bathsheba. 
commits adultery and then kills her husband. Um, when this happens, David is now found out by God and then Nathan. Nathan goes to David and approaches him, tells him, uh, and actually the verse says that the Lord sends Nathan to David, which is something I think we need to know. He sends Nathan to David and Nathan gives this story of, uh, long story short, just essentially telling David, I know what you did. David was like, oh, snap, I found out. And David, on behalf of what Nathan had just told him, ends up repenting for what he had done. Now, there were still some consequences, but David ends up repenting for what he had actually done. And, and, and at the end of the day, I think we're all proclaiming something. Nathan approaches David. David, being the king of Israel, had all power to do whatever he wanted to do and had already killed the husband of the wife that he had slept with. So Nathan, in his boldness and what God had told him to do, not in his fear of what man could do, goes to him and speaks on behalf of God. How in our situation are we sometimes scared to post, scared to talk, scared to march, scared to do something in fear of man when God has already told you to go and we are now in fear of what man might do to us? Nathan, above anybody else, had really fear good. and qualified fear, a reasonable fear to go and be scared of the king, and yet he still was obedient to God. How can we be obedient to God in the same way? And, and, and I think we're in this age of, like, Twitter activism, if you know what I mean, like, that you repost something and then you go to sleep at night being like, I did something for God. And we're super, so or we retweet something, or we favorite something, or we like a post, or we're like, man, I did my good deed for the day because I reposted, or because I did post. And I'm not downplaying any of those things, but I do want to really encourage us that it doesn't stop at Twitter. It's not going to stop at a repost. It's not going to stop at Instagram. That there does need to be a time when we can, we need to proclaim for God and not just proclaiming in groups, but proclaiming individually that God isn't asking us to just go in mass, but to go individually. In Matthew 18, 15, 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, Jesus talking to a group and essentially if someone sins against you, if your brother sins against you, what? We're supposed to Drag them on Twitter? No. If your brother sins against you, you're supposed to yell at them and call them out. If your brother sins against you, you're supposed to cancel them. No, if your brother sins against you, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go in private and talk to them. How about that? And then after that, that the Bible says that you have gained a brother afterwards. There We're not go. supposed to make enemies in this time. We're supposed to gain brothers. That's great. Tell and I don't want us to have hearts that go to people because God's heart in proclamation is not revenge. It's repentance. Hallelujah. And we can't go to people trying to get revenge for all the years because, y'all, if we, if we are people that try and get revenge, God, who, God can look at us and say, well, look at all the years that you've sinned against me. Look at all the things that you've done against me. And my God is a God whose kindness leads me to repentance. That's beautiful. Not his laws, beautiful. not his rules. Beautiful. His kindness is going to be repentance. Tell us, I'm grateful. Your time's up, though. No, I got you it. got to talk some more That's about it. this. Um, Go proclaim. No, no, it's great. Can you imagine what Nathan would be, would be encouraged, kind of tempted to do if he had Twitter? If, if, if he had social media? I mean, put David on blast to the entire nation. Instead, he decided... I'm going straight to the man, straight to the man. There's something really orderly about proper proclamation, not just proclamation, but proclamation. Any thoughts, Pastor? Well, um, you know, people say, you know, I gave this person a piece of my mind. I told him what I really thought. <laughs> um, I, uh, we were talking about being a witness one day, and, and a fellow said, well, I was, I was talking to this man of a different faith in Christianity, and when I finished, he had nothing to say. And I, and I said to the group, what's our goal? Uh, is our goal to shut people down, to win an argument, 
um, to save face. Uh, humility, that first step in, in the passage that I read, if my people will humble themselves. That's beautiful, Mark. Um, that, that humility is, is a brokenness so that, like Isaiah, after he'd been cleansed, we're coming from brokenness. We're coming from a recognition of our own sin and fallenness and our own failure. And we're coming to restore. The, the whole goal of the calamities that God brought mm was to bring the people back to a place where they would seek his face. Yeah, yeah. We were created to live in the sunshine of his face. And if you look at Twitter and if you look at, um, at the online posting and things, the venom and, and the uh, malignancy and the, the stuff that's going on there is coming out of our wicked ways. Yeah. And so God, to heal us, we have to proclaim Beautiful. in kindness and we have to, you know, to, to win them. Beautiful. Yeah. Go ahead, please. We talk about, um, well, tell us, you had a point I don't think you mentioned, but as we were talking about this beforehand, you said we, we've got to approach people not with the title of Christian, but with the heart of God. Mm. And, and I am for, mm. listen, I am for posting online and because, you know, before social media, to reach all the people that I've ever known in my life was going to be about 650 phone calls <laughs> and running into people in the grocery store. But yeah. now I've got a platform yeah. where I can reach them all at once. It's and true. so it's important, but the heart yep. that goes with it, yep. I think, is what's so, so critical to, to marry those things together. And, and not only the heart that goes with it so that we communicate well, but the heart that goes with it so that backlash doesn't come to you spiritually for... for Look, not perceiving the log in your own, yeah. but looking at the speck in your brother's. Be careful. We are judged, it, scripture, we are judged for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. Yeah, right. And I want to keep you all safe. Yeah. Be careful how you post. Mm. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. And so we've talked about prayer, which is talking to God. Now we've talked about proclamation, which is talking to people. And then I think there's, a, there's the next step of this, which is to participate because we're called to be not just hearers of the word, mm. what's been proclaimed to us, but we've been called to be doers of the word. And so to take action and to take the next step of participating. And I think the best way that I can illustrate this point is uh, through a story of King Josiah, which is from 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. I highly recommend you read it tonight for your Bible study, but I'll summarize Josiah is eight years old when he takes the throne. By the time he's 26, so don't tell me that young people can't change the world. By the time he's <laughs> say 26. That, say, say that again. So don't tell me that young people can't change the world because by the time he's 26, King Josiah realizes that the temple of God has been destroyed and he decides to rebuild it. Now, uh, Israel was fractured into two nations, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. He was king of Judah. The temple was destroyed and they had been far, far from God. They were no longer keeping the book of the law, no longer observing him as Lord and God. There were idols in every temple and all over the land. And Josiah sends his high priest, Hilkiah, to rebuild the temple. So Hilkiah goes to rebuild the temple, and he finds a book that he has delivered to King Josiah. It's the book of the law. For us, it's the Old Testament. The, the, it's the first five books, right? The book with the law of the Lord of, of, of what to do. Josiah reads it, and he is undone. He is undone. He grieves, laments, he tears his clothes, and he, and he uh, just repents before the Lord. And he sends his high priest to say, go inquire of the Lord. Go, go ask him for mercy because we have been so far from his commands for so long. Go inquire that his wrath would not be kindled against us. Mm. So they go and they inquire of the Lord and the Lord says something amazing. The Lord says, 
My wrath will be kindled against this nation because you have wandered so far from me. You have forsaken me. But, hear this, but, Josiah, your king, because your heart was penitent and because of your humility, you will go to your grave in peace Mm. and you will not witness Mm. the destruction of this nation. Mm, mm, mm. I think there's two lessons up front about this that we can glean from Josiah's response to hearing the word of God, which is first grief and lament. And I think this is the point so many of us, especially American Christianity and just Americans, we gloss right over because we would rather raise a hallelujah, we would rather sing the song, we would rather jump around and dance than we would confront our own wickedness or sit in our own grief or lament over anything. Listen, there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. It's a book of lament, and we have forgotten this theology of Great. lament and of grieving. Mm. We have not counseled ourselves well of how to grieve Beautiful. these things, whether it's the loss of a loved one or forsaking your holy God. First thing he does is he grieves, and what the grief does is it changes his heart towards God. Yeah. It Beautiful. humbles him. He says, go ask the Lord for mercy. And the attitude with which we approach God is so important in these moments because God spares him because of his humility, right? A broken and contrite heart, you, O Lord, will not ignore. And this is Josiah's plea, and I pray this is our plea, that we go before the Lord with a broken and contrite heart. That's only going to come not by head knowledge or information, but by the grief and the lament of where we are as a people, as individuals, of navigating that, of processing that, of taking time to do it, to change our hearts before God in humility. And what's so powerful is that the story doesn't end at that point. Mm. Now, for most of us Christians, we've, I would like it to end there, right? Because we get really good at, at, uh, at repenting before God, right? Every week, Sunday, we hear a message. We're like, ooh, that's not me. Lord, I repent. Fix me, God, and make me new. And we come back the next Sunday, still not me. God, fix me, Lord, make me new, right? And we're really good at repentance, but we're really bad at doing anything about it. Uh. Chapter 23 of 2 Kings is titled Josiah's Reforms. And it goes on for the whole chapter of what Josiah does to reform his entire society. He reads the book of the law to them. Then he goes into every temple in all the land and he tears down every idol, every monument to a false god. He burns them, he crushes them, he kills the priests, he eradicates all the wickedness from every temple across all of the land. And he does what? In the place of the wicked idols of their past, he institutes the Passover. He institutes the holiday that had not been celebrated for decades, the Passover, which is what? It's remembrance of God's mercy. So when it comes to participating in the work of the Lord, we hear and we grieve, we repent, and then we show the fruit of that repentance. We tear down systemically the church, the people, we got to do this, all of us. We got to tear down every idol, every false god, every false ideology, every, every piece of history we worship and replace it with the ordinance of God, yeah. with the remembrance of his mercy so that as people look back at this nation, they don't see scars and wounds. They see the goodness and the That's mercy beautiful. of our God. Perfect. And I believe that for us is what participation ultimately is going to look like. That's beautiful. And if you read that passage in detail, Pastor AJ, fabulous. The inspiration, because Josiah didn't know. He didn't know. He was just a good king. Hilkiah was on the inside working this thing. His priest brought out the law, helped explain it, said these are the reforms that need to be made. Hilkiah was participating with the government on the inside, trying to figure out how to bring reform so that they could worship God adequately and serve people well. Participation means you're on the inside. 
Can you imagine how Daniel was perceived by most of the Jews in Babylon? Daniel was on the inside, whole book, one of the greatest prophets ever, whole book written about him, or written by him. And he was on the inside serving Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had taken all of the, the Judean people captive from Judah and brought them to Babylon. They, he had destroyed their city. He had destroyed their temple. He had made them basically slaves, underclass, permanent underclass in Babylon, and had taken the smartest, wisest people and brought them into his court. Daniel was one of them. We also see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some other Hebrew boys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were called Ashael, Mishael, and Azariah. Those were their Hebrew names. They were on the inside. Can you imagine what the people down on the, on the, on the, in the grassroots were saying about Daniel and those other three? You sellouts. You're just a part of the system. You're just working it. You don't know what we're going through down here. You're eating high. You're living high. You're doing all. No, no, no. Listen, you want to serve me? Assassinate the king. Put something in his wine. Do something to his food. That's how you treat me well. I don't want to hear about how well you're serving him. Yet Daniel saw Nebuchadnezzar get right, which changed the nation. Another king, two generations later, came, Darius. Saw Darius get right. Darius got so right. He said, nobody in my nation will be able to serve any or pray to any other God except yours. He made a law that the entire nation became a part of the annexed covenant of God. Daniel, <laughs> hero, hero, because he was participating in the process to see reformation. Let me tell you what our church is doing. We've been asked to participate in Fairfax County's review of their policies with respect to police, law enforcement, and de-escalation. Wow. So I'm, I'm going to be on that board. I'm serving in sports arenas, so many I can't tell you. They're trying to figure out how in the world can we have diversity with unity. Pastor Brett, you seem to do it well. Can you help us, please? That's what we are doing on the inside. Not just the prayer, yes. Not just the proclamation, yes. We need to tell folk who are wrong, they're wrong. But I'm working on the inside. And so many others in this church are working on the inside to see reform happen on the outside so people can be better and God can be glorified. I don't have time for anybody else to talk. I got to talk now. <laughs> Pedestrian ministry. Here's an unusual passage. And we're running out of time. I've just taken too much. Jeremiah 11, verse 6 through 10. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to tell you what it's about. The people of Israel, the Judeans, the last remnant of God's holy folk, had been doing wrong for a long time. It was time for them to be disciplined, and they were going to be taken captive by the king of Babylon. Jeremiah was the prophet of, of no repute. Hey, no repute. He was one who was maligned. Uh, everybody hated him because he kept talking about defeat. And God told him in Jeremiah 11, he said, I want you to, to, to go throughout the streets of Jerusalem. Now, he had never told another prophet to do this. Most prophets had a, had a platform. They either spoke to the king. They had a place in the temple where they could speak. He tells him here, go through the streets. Now, you may be able to find other circumstances, other prophets that did that. I can't find them in Scripture. You who are more Bible literate than me, please help me, send me other th things. But this is the only one I can find. He said, go through the streets of Jerusalem and proclaim that my people have left my covenant. And then I want you to go to every city in, in, in Ju Judea and say the same thing. What do we see? A man in the streets calling for righteousness. Now, let me tell you what justice is. Justice is the restoration of righteousness. 
When there's injustice, something needs to be fixed in order for righteousness to prevail. And that's where justice comes in, to fix what's wrong. Jeremiah was sent to the streets, to the streets, when people won't listen as a result of, of the, the, the prayers that have been prayed, when they won't listen to the proclamation, when they won't participate on the inside to see reform. And, and the people who are trying to reform on the inside won't receive it. God says, take it to the streets. Now, the difference between Jeremiah and what's happening now is that Jeremiah was a prophet. He wasn't just a protester. I'm not saying protesting is wrong. I'm just saying there might be a higher calling to which you can aspire. Then when you're out on the streets, take the word of the Lord with you. I had the privilege of participating in a protest. I've been to four. And uh, this one, I said, can I say something? I just went to him. I said, can I say? I figured we'd given him enough water and food. I'd bought some credibility. Something. Give, give me a, give me, give, give me, just give me the mic for two minutes. So I just pushed myself in. I cut in line. And I got up and I talked to him. I talked, I discipled my community about what it means to, okay, no justice, no peace. I get that. But do you know what peace is? Mm. Let me tell you what peace is. Because if you want to stop injustice and you really want, don't want, if you want all peace, then don't stop injustice. Because if you stop injustice, you'll forget what reconciliation looks like. And this is how you begin the process of healing your community is that you go all the way to peace. Let me tell you what the Bible has to say about peace. I I preached. Now, I didn't use chapter and verse. I didn't say, let me tell you what the Bible has to say about peace. I actually just said it. But my point is, I had an audience that was ready to receive something that brings healing. My point is, I'm not concerned whether I'm confused as being with somebody or not. I'm concerned about using any environment I possibly can to leverage for truth. And so I'll go to the streets and take this gospel with me like Jeremiah and say, repent. Repent. These are four ways. You may find more. Four ways your voice can legitimately be heard. And I beg people to utilize them. And I beg people to not judge folk who don't utilize all of them. Their voices, do something. Not using your voice is not good. But do something of these four. Participate in some way. And if all you've got the courage to do is call out to God, I ain't mad at you. I'm proud of you. God is doing something really special. And we get the privilege of engaging with it by using our voice productively. Gentlemen, thank you for your study. You're outstanding. I appreciate that. Let me do this as we close. Um, Put that picture of my wife and I up there. That's my beautiful bride. She's outstanding. She's better than me in every way. Better human, better Christian better person. Our fifth child was this one over here. Um, We'd had four, three born, one adopted. Three boys, one girl. This one came out with sandy hair and blue eyes. Now you see what my wife looks like. You see what I look like. When this child came out, I kind of talked to God and said, I think you delivered the wrong child. <laughs> wrong address. Is, is there another human being on the, on the inside of this woman? Because this one here doesn't look anything like us. Blue eyes, sandy brown hair, and very light complected. We sat there and said, who are you and where did you come from? Put up the next slide. This is my wife's grandfather. 
He fought in the Confederacy. Now, there are very few people alive that actually can reach back to a grandparent today that fought in the Confederacy. You can see the color of the uniform he's wearing. That's Union. He was a slave here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. He escaped because we think, we don't know the whole story, but we think President Lincoln's edict of emancipation and proclamation and, and the, 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 the idea that, that slaves, if they escape, could actually fight for the Union and then win their freedom, somehow or another he escaped. And he fought for the Union and then wound up in Tennessee. You can see that he doesn't look much like me or Cynthia. He was the son of a slave master and a slave. I have, I'm, I'm kind of latte, I'm not real dark. My parents aren't real dark, and we have slave master on the inside of us. My wife and I didn't know it until we saw our boy. And I was, I was 35 when he was born, and I was coming into a new understanding of what my own ethnicity was and how to value it. And I was preaching in such a way that it really emphasized uh, my, my African-American heritage. And then my, my sandy-haired boy came out with blue eyes. And I, I said, that's not all I am. That's not all I am. And I was conflicted. But it was hard for me not to... It's hard for me to get around my ancestors to love my boy. And every time I, I hugged my boy, I was hugging my ancestors. I wasn't hugging their deeds. I was feeling what reconciliation looked like. I just want you to know, this is part of the stuff that makes up your pastor. Truth with compassion and understanding. And I want us to combine that. It says of Jesus, the unusual thing, a man who came to a generation of people that had been oppressed by the Romans for a very, very long time. They were all looking for a deliverer. Not a deliverer to, to deliver them from sin, but to deliver them from Rome. And he came, and it says in, in John 1, grace and truth kissed each other. I don't know what that looks like in our generation, but we're trying to figure it out. Never withholding truth, but embracing the idea of what it means to pursue enemies, to make them our friends. It changed my heart when I saw my boy. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and grace. Help us as a people to understand more about what reconciliation looks like and help us to be a healing force to our community. If any of you all out there find yourself in a place where maybe your voice hasn't been heard as well as you would like or it hasn't been heard at all or you despise those who haven't spoken like you wanted them to, you need to repent. You need to repent. And I want to lead you in a prayer. Say, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry for not being obedient. I choose to comply to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you who are, need to give your heart to Christ, pray this with me. Or maybe you've made a decision in the past. But, gosh, you've fallen away and you don't look anything like what a Christian ought to be. If you fit in either of those categories, pray this with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. 
in Jesus' name.